Hello, my name is Louise Newsom, and you're listening to the Trade and Prosper podcast channel, where we share the stories of individuals and businesses that make our communities. We believe in those that are committed to doing well by doing good, using their hands, minds, and hearts to create a better place for us all, and believe that a little sweat and a lot of sharing turns a community into a populace of prosperity. Trade and Prosper is a forum where those like-minded individuals meet to trade ideas, information, goods, and services, as well as building long-lasting relationships that enable them to expand their reach locally and also globally. On this episode, you'll meet Owen Martinetti and Nick Guarino, founders of Naturai LLC, based in Berlin, New York, a small Hudson Valley town, who along with their third partner, Max and Freeman, had a passion to make a difference in the world. Naturai focuses on producing the reliable organic CBD oils and processing capabilities for East Coast farmers. I was fortunate to record this podcast while their first batch was being harvested, which they will use to start their own retail company. They believe that a plant as small as hemp can make a big change due to the growing awareness around the health benefits of the CBD oil it produces. So, guys, tell me a little bit about yourselves. Sure. So, Nick and I were both uh, friends from college. Um, we were going to school at Baruch in Manhattan. We met through a mutual friend and then also found out we had a few classes together. And a few months later, we ended up just becoming roommates. And uh, kind of everything stems from, from that relationship of how we got to where we are now. So, let me just point out, though, that college was like a hot minute ago. Both of you are like 22, 23 years of age. Yeah, right. So, right, so you've right. just graduated. I mean, we're sitting right now in your processing plant, which is about 20 minutes away from your farm. What I've just experienced with you guys in the last hour has been mind-blowing. I mean, I can't believe what you've achieved in such a short time. I mean, I just want to ask you a lot of questions about process, getting this approved by the state, arduous process. You mentioned something about a five-page application that turned into a 20-page yeah, submission. Yeah. Might have went yeah. a little bit over the top, but yeah. we wanted to make sure we got it done. Well, you certainly did, right? right. Yeah. I mean, how quick was it that you got approved? Uh, three weeks um, for our first license and about a month for a second. Yeah. So I'm sure all your mentors that are helping you in this process must have been blown away about how quickly you got approved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody was... It was it was really exciting. Uh, the the people who we were working with in Oregon couldn't believe it either. It was it was a thanks to everybody around us really though, and like all the resources that we could pull from them and the questions that we could ask daily uh, as we were filling in the applications to be able to form the plan to to operate everything. So you know, sometimes when you're dealing with with the government, any kind of state or government paperwork, they don't always tell you what to put in it. No, they're not very clear, no. You just kind of have to tailor it to your project and, and the things that you consider important that they know, really. And right. You think that they're going to know, or like, do you think that they're going to like? It's, it's really a lot of guesswork. Well, especially with something so new, because they're figuring it out themselves. It, so exactly. they're learning from, from anyone who's applying, that's who they're learning from, too. So yeah. congratulations Basically, to you yeah. on thinking I'm, that way. Thank so, you. the money. Yeah. Now, was... you were sharing some interesting stories about that. If you just want to kind of recap with me a little bit on like how you went about getting the money to be able to do this. Yeah, so first it started with friends and family. Um, 
and then we didn't raise any money from that. <laughs> so then, so then the friends of our families uh, were the next targets. Um, they started listening to us. We had a few pitches. We probably did about six pitches from those types of people, but nothing was coming to fruition. Our pitch was getting a little bit better. We, we had a pretty good game plan down. And that, I think that was a big part of it, like uh, we were kind of talking about before, that each investor sort of created our pitch for us because they would want something specific and, and they would want a certain reassurance or some kind of model. Owen was building all of our models, which yeah. is fantastic, um, that, that would tell them, you know, what if this happened? What if that happened? And so after the first dozen investors or so that we failed to convince, it started to get easier to, to bring. And everything kind of turned around. We had this one investor that came in with a large sum of money which allowed us to start operating on our farm and order our greenhouse. But then after that, that one investor, we kind of hit a, like a, debt, a dry zone for a bit. So we had about 25% of our money raised and we spent about 50% of that already. And it, it's looking pretty grim. It's looking like we're not gonna be able to do our full project. I mean, the, the, the investor who was uh, investing in the land was ready to, to pull the investment on the land and cash had just already, like at, at over like 300 or $400,000 had left. Uh, and we like, what are we gonna say to this investor? So it was a good like 60 to 90 days of, of sweat. It was it was really surprising as well because this investor, we would call him and tell him like, you know, we're, we're really worried, uh, you know, should, should we continue? And, and he would say, you guys are going to be all right. Don't worry about it. You'll be okay. And we would always just be like, like why, where is, is, why like, is he so calm? Where is he getting this from? Like, And it wasn't like he was someone who knew this business. No, no. no he, he knew the marijuana business a little bit, but he didn't know the hemp world. He was just like, oh, I believe in you guys. You're going to be all right. Yeah, yeah, so then we have like a few different things happen. We have, we get introduced to an NFL player and a few other guys. We had a private equity company that got interested and all of a sudden, after that 90-day dry zone, we kind of just raised the rest of the money in like three weeks. Yeah, I mean, for, for you to get an idea, the desperate, like how, how worried we were at like 60 days, this private equity group that we found, one of our uh, partners, uh, Paul Freeman, he, we essentially started going, you know how there's those like websites to help startups and help, and you're always like, well, there's no way that they're ever actually, you're gonna find something from there. So there's, there's a website like that, and we started submitting our pitch and our and our project to a few of these equity groups and this group in California like actually really liked it we had like a phone call with them a 45 minute phone call they liked that we had our financials in order and our operating agreement all in order and then like within two weeks they were in so you know there's so many people starting businesses all kinds of businesses I mean I come across them every day uh, people who are from making jewelry to doing what you're doing and beyond sure. right and the struggling and how to be sustainable to figure out sustainability right and especially mm -hmm. when you're starting off with limited resources right. I mean just from this very fast short time that you've been doing this but obviously massive learning curve mm -hmm. what are the key takeaways for you guys on what you would share with others when people are coming up to you and saying, oh, I'm thinking of starting a business what are some of the things I should be thinking about I think one is having partners that have skill sets that you don't have is one thing. And then the, the next part to that is communication. So anytime like a problem has come up with our project, we kind of all group together and discuss op the ways to maneuver, how to, how to make it through this obstacle. And I think by doing that, it's been allowing us to pivot um, in times of crisis and then 
pivot when there's a problem that pops up and we, we seem to always overcome it once we have like a good line of communication. So I'd say communication's key for most other businesses. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And I mean, th these are all like, can be sort of cliche, but they, they can't be emphasized enough, which is obviously like organization. Like it's, it's so easy whenever you're, I mean, if you're dealing with your own bank accounts, it's already hard to keep them in order. But if you're dealing with like a ton of transactions and things, so like being financially organized would be really, really helpful. Then, then I think the most, the most important thing goes back to what Owen was just saying now, which is finding the right people so like we we didn't know how to grow cannabis or and my family in agriculture didn't know the plant i mean we understand generally how agriculture works so we we just constantly use other resources and and other people and, and we're constantly in communication with them and, and made sure that they had the skill sets that we needed for that so it's just trying to be humble obviously and having having partners super important so when you start a business, you know, who knows who's going to be doing what, right? Oh, yeah, that's that's still, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a big, that, that would be something I would tell somebody who's starting a business, like getting roles and responsibilities down. It's going to take time and it's, it's hard to actually do, but until you get into a routine, but I think that's really important so that things are crystal clear for everybody. Do you think that's... I mean, I just know from personal experience that sometimes you just got to kind of all be bumping into each other for a little bit yeah, to find your spot, basically. right? That's where we're at. Yeah, <laughs> That's where yeah. We, 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 have, we know where some people's skill sets are. Some people are better dealing with employees. Some people are better with financials. But um, I think everybody's going to, during the startup phase, have to wear multiple hats. Uh, yeah, a lot, like all the time. <laughs> That's yeah, right. Yeah. And, you know, you were telling me at the farm, I mean, basically all hands on deck. I mean, right. we went through, the, we had a conversation about applying for the permits, getting the finances. Then it was actually working the land. Right. Yeah, preparing the land to grow and like turning yourselves into farmers. Oh, yeah. Right. That was the important, <laughs> a really important part of sort of the, 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 the that sold the investors a lot was that we're going to be there and we're going to be there every single day getting our hands dirty um, and, and learning every single part of the business, like from stripping the plants and how long that takes, doing time trials on it to to actually making Planting the Planting the plants and, in the, in the yeah. fields to harvesting it. It's it's. Definitely a very uh, labor-intensive crop to deal with. So, I mean, you, you know, you're just harvesting your first crop and you were showing me all the plants, which are so gorgeous. Yeah. And, the, yeah, you know, they and, the, and they smell fantastic. And we were in that barn and they were all hanging there, drying a bunch of stuff and just, just really magical. And so you harvest. We're here in the processing plant. You're showing me the machinery. That must have cost a fortune to purchase. It, it did. I can only imagine. <laughs> Actually, most probably, I want to say the most expensive part. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is. That, that yeah. one was, was the That's our biggest machine. Thing. We have uh, three other machines uh, that are in the other room. Right, <laughs> right. And actually, if you think about, you know, if you were to look forward and think about next year and what you've been learning as you've been sort of doing your thing here, and oh, I'm sure- Oh, next year is gonna be so much better. Right, well, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so, okay, so first year of business, you haven't even like harvest all the way out, you haven't even managed to process, you haven't even salt, right? right? right. But imagine all that's done. If you're in your mind's eye and you're thinking of year two, what would you do differently? We definitely start harvesting earlier. Um, we ended up getting to harvest early October, so we probably could have got an extra two, three weeks in there beforehand. I think uh, and then maybe changing up our germination method. Yeah, 
uh, we would change up germination method. Also, the order in which we we did irrigation would probably change a bit, um, so that it didn't require as much fixing and it could yeah. just kind of stay how it was. Because year year one, we kind of looked at our project as like the proof of concept for what we want to do. So next year, I think we can kind of amplify what the data points that we got from year one, which were we tried six different strains. Uh, the first year, and we also tried three different growing styles. So next year, going forward, we're going to be implementing whatever worked best, um, and we've kind of isolated it down now to what strains are best and what growing methods going to work best for our fields. Right, and uh, like with the state, um, th- this whole initiative has to do with research as well, so, because I mean, hemp has been illegal for eighty years, so there's a- almost no research, and that's why so many of the claims on CBD and stuff often get refuted because we're just now starting to get some of the research. So the state has it under the, the whole initiative is under a guise of research, and so with the different data points that we give the state, we'll also, as I was saying, be able to better our, our crop next year like out of the six different varietals there's three that had like exceptional cbd content and one that was like far too low we will be profitable the first year so yes. we're happy well that's that's great yeah thankfully it's such a new market and and the margins are are allowing for for this kind of learning right yeah so. yeah and no, i mean that's an interesting thought like as this grows I mean, right. what we talk about, just over 100 there. hemp farms yeah. in New York State. Right. right. And this, the differentiation is like 30 CBD farmers and the, the rest of them are fiber and uh, food production farms. And, and the, like the majority are a half acre or like they're, they're just testing it out. My background has no experience whatsoever in any of these things. And I don't know Nick, yeah, barely. yours either. Yeah, but it's just been yeah. a matter of critical thinking and setting goals and figuring out how to accomplish them. We're saying during our investor meetings is like, the things that we don't know, we're going to tell you that we don't know them and we're going to let you know that, but we're going to go out and find the people that do know that information and we're going to go retain them and and use their knowledge, basically. So now how many people do you have working for you? Um, At the farm during harvesting, we have about 18 people there during five days a week. Permanently, Um, probably like five to six five to six to start yeah. yeah and then what about here at the processing plant uh here is about four people to start now these people that you're hiring have experience in the in the spots they're in on the yeah. lab side yes um our coo uh, dan hitchcock he's came on he's a partner now his background's in the pharmaceutical world and so he was doing third-party lab testing for a pretty large company called uh, catalan and so uh, a lot of the equipment in, in this world um, is very similar to that in the medical world. So hmm. he's came over and he's being trained now by uh, different companies and our consultants from Oregon to use this specific equipment. And um, on that note, like uh, what we were talking about before, what's important uh, for a new business, I think you, you shouldn't be shy to partner with people like if, if it's really worth it, like and then of letting go of some equity, because if you, if you can make it something really incredible, at least you, you have a smaller part, but it's of something massive rather than take, keeping a large portion of nothing. So if, if the managers of a company like don't emphasize hierarchy so much and, and really like listen to each other um, I think and communicate a lot of problems get solved and a lot of things become way bigger so can you believe you're doing this it's sometimes I, I forget <laughs> like I was like what are we we were doing this at the beginning especially we kept joking that that we were kind of in a simulation but to what you were asking like how how do you solve the problems if you don't have like the experience in the fields like uh, Owen I think has, has been really good of a leader in that way with our group and kind of just 
having this mentality that like you can do anything literally as cliche as that sounds like that you really can do anything like if you have google you can you can do it like <laughs> there's, there's no way that you can't do it if you have youtube and google yeah. Oh well, people did. I think they went to the library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know I did. Um, what were you thinking of doing before this even came up? You were at Baroque, so uh, what was your thought? What? So my thought was like I was going to start a software company and uh, start to build that out and either fail or or succeed at that. And that was kind of my path. I was trying to get into venture capital from school. So talking about softwares and technology. How important is that in your business infrastructure? Have you, is that something you've built out from the beginning, a system? So we've really just been doing fundamental stuff with like Microsoft Office, um, getting all of our data points. Um, we, we did look into implementing a uh, cannabis software that tracks the seeds uh, to the end of its growth cycle. But um, nothing's really been made for hemp yet, so nothing scales uh, to Pro- that size, to, yeah. to the size, yeah. Because most marijuana operations are like an indoor operation, so of like two thousand plants, five thousand plants. Yeah, plans in that not- case, the software is, is super useful, and I think new software is starting to come out as this gets bigger. But there's not a, a lot that that can scale to twenty five acres. Maybe that's something to think about, Owen. Oh yeah, <laughs> you should be building that. I should doing it. Oh, maybe next year. <laughs> In the lab, there's there's a ton of technology. Like like it doesn't necessarily have to be software, but but yeah, I mean the the small like super C extractor that we need to to be able to test and and gather data on all of the flour that comes in from other farmers. There's just not a ton of of like software technology that's been really important. Right. So what were you going to do, Nick? What was your uh, dream I job? Was, <laughs> I think I was just going to work uh, for my family business uh, for. The agriculture side of, of business there in, in Brazil, actually. So, guys, I want to talk a little bit about the concept of community and collaboration and how important that is for any business and especially for a startup. Yeah, sure. So, you guys are new in this community. So, just talk a little bit about how you've embraced the community in your project here? Sure. Well, over at our farm, uh, to start our first day at the farm, we, our neighbors came to us and asked us, what are you guys doing growing dope? And had a very, <laughs> very like negative uh, approach to us and not very uh, a warm welcoming. But a few months later, things have changed. They understand what we're doing. I mean, their grandkids are now working at our farm over the summer. So it's, it's kind of changed over at the farm. And then over here at our processing center, it was kind of an elaborate process. We had to do two board meetings. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. No, I was just going to say, like, it, it, you, just, you just have to, like, it depends on your attitude on how you take it, too. Because a lot of things happened, like, uh, going back to the farm as well, like, there was two pieces of land that were misrepresented and we had to have like almost like it turned into a legal situation um, to be able to purchase that land because we had already planned out our greenhouse and made blueprints and spent money on the greenhouse and it was infringing on somebody's like 0.07 acres of land. Um, And we realized quickly that like the best way to do it is just have like a really good attitude and go talk to them because at the end they're just people and they're humans and and, like when you send them letters and send things from lawyers it's going to be very complicated but if you just show up and and that's what we did in the end we just showed up started talking to them and immediately like met their parents and they were like all right yeah we'll sell you the piece of land. It's no problem. So over here in Hoosick Valley, uh, Hoosick Falls, um, a lot of business uh, has gone away over the years, and so 
the community seeing a manufacturing business coming here. The town has been really receptive and we have a lot of people that are reaching out, a lot of contractors that are doing favors and a lot of people that are interested in work. So really excited to see what happens. And The farm definitely wouldn't have survived without the community, like everybody around. I mean, there were times when, when we were planting where like we were really on a time crunch and we'd ask somebody like, you know, we really, really need some people out here just putting plants in the ground and like seven people would show up, you know. So, you so had too many people at one point. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. <laughs> it's, it's a really good problem nice. to yeah. have. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely in agriculture as well. Like, it's the most difficult part about agriculture is labor. So. And how do you feel like you were received by the established community, the ones that have been here for a long time? I would say generally really well. Yeah, once once people find out what we're doing and there's not the mis the misconceptions gone of that we're growing marijuana. We're accepted really quickly. I mean, we, when we were at the board meeting here for Hoosick, I would say Hoosick had a bit more resistance, but it's. I think people are just super curious. Like that's it. They're just really curious. As Owen like continued to answer the barrage of questions, <laughs> yeah. kind of like what we were talking about before. I mean, when you when you look at like the opioid crisis here in the Northeast, almost everyone here is touched by it. Like it, almost everyone One that you talk another. to has like a cousin, a friend, a best friend, somebody who's died of a heroin overdose. And, I mean, CBD really does help with pain management. I've, I've experienced it in my personal life and my family. And so when they realize it's something that's going to really help out the community and, and they, there's just no objection to it, like, what can you possibly object to? Like, it doesn't get anybody high, it's not harming there's anybody, no, it's only doing good. There's no yeah. philosophical argument that says any reason why this should be illegal. It's also like a ton of propaganda that happened then um, by companies like DuPont. Like as soon as they realized they could make synthetic fibers, like they did not care at all whether people were getting high or not. Like what they cared about for legalization and policy was just lumping in hemp with, since they're both cannabis sativa, and getting it all out so that their synthetic fibers would be profitable. How um, beneficial and helpful have um, institutions like Cornell been to you and Agam Market in Albany? And do you utilize their resources? Have you? Um, not so much Agam Markets, but I mean, they've been receptive when we had questions regarding testing. Cornell has been super helpful. We had uh, a few of our plants had some kind of fungus on it and they came out and identified what it was. Yeah. And uh, so Dr. Larry Smart spearheading the project over there, and he's just been very helpful. He's come out to our farm, he took samples of our, our different strains. They're doing a really good job. I mean, as best a job as they could be doing, yeah. I think. That's actually how we even decided that we were going to be growing CBD. Um, we had a uh, meeting with Dr. Jamie. I can't remember her last name, but she was a professor at Cornell, and, and she sort of took us through the studies that they had and, and the margins that were in fiber and the margins that were in an acre of CBD, and, and it was with her help. So, I mean, yeah, Cornell has been fantastic. And Agon Markets as well. There's, I mean, we, we asked for, for our testing to be done, and they came right whenever they said they were going to. I'd say the government's handled this, like, really well. And what about grants? Oh, Disappointing. <laughs> they claim to have $5 million available for processors yeah. and for farmers um, of hemp. And we've just had a, like, a very difficult time with them where it's gone everywhere from you were denied because you're a startup to you were denied because uh, X. Like, so that they've just kind of put the wall up and not, not allowed us to get through. Um, but we did submit two 30-page applications. So what do you see happening here? over the next five years? A lot of oil being produced. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you have projections for growth? 
for expansion? I mean, have you thought about that yet? Yeah, yeah. this facility, we have the capa- uh, capabilities of uh, doing four times what we're going to be doing this year. Yeah. So that would be the goal, would be to expand this facility. Um, what about the land? Ideally, we wouldn't do a high amount of expansion of our own farming because we already have 25 acres and it's quite a bit to deal with, but we might go to like 40 acres yep. and, and then just try to get as many, as many farmers uh, into a sort of co-op. That's, that's really like the big goal on the, on the growing side because there's not a ton of processors in the state and, and farmers are turning to this crop because they want to start making money with agriculture instead of having to be subsidized. And so it's way easier for them to just turn uh, to hemp. That's, yeah, that's our goal. We'd like to have a lot of, we already have a few uh, people, in, we have about a dozen people interested in growing underneath our license for next year. And they're called already affiliate growers. Affiliate growers. And yeah. we also right. have uh, one 150,000 green, uh, foot greenhouse that is growing hemp on uh, hydroponics. hydroponics. Now, does that product need to be under your name once it's produced? Uh, it's under it, our license, um, and we need to process it, basically. But if someone was packaging it and putting it into another container, they could put their brand on it? They could, yeah. yeah. And that's something that we're going to offer. Um, so, yeah, we're definitely offering uh, white labeling services through one of our partner companies over in Massachusetts. Um, and then here at this facility, we're going to be doing uh, large-scale oil production of full-spectrum and distillate. So, essentially, Smart. the goal would be to get this facility to like total capacity with our affiliate growers. That's like the 2019 goal. Yeah. Be able to have four of those machines in here. That's a very smart plan. So what's the biggest challenge been so far? So this happened about a few months back when we realized that our original game plan for our processing facility was no longer a viable option. Um, we had oh, a, brutal. We had a uh, 4,000 square foot barn on our property that we were gonna retrofit to be our processing facility. And uh, we're, we're pretty deep into the project and about, we've been working with the electrical company for three months and they finally tell us a price estimate of about three quarters of a million dollars just to run electric to the property. Just to run a few poles, basically. Yeah, about 20 poles and a new line. And so uh, at this point, we're, we're way into the project. We've raised all of our money and we've been spending money. We've spent a lot of money as well, right? Yeah, we've bought the machine. We right? bought the machine. Um, so kind of crisis hit in, we thought about, we, we kind of started looking at the problem, like, uh, maybe we can order some generators and run the the operation off a generator. (laughs) (laughs) But once we started doing the numbers on like diesel consumption, it was so expensive. And environmental destruction, like (laughs) 9,000 square feet. feet. Um, And so this was... Obviously, it was existing. Yeah. And what was it before? It was a graphics business. So they did like vinyl wrappings for different companies and on trucks. Um, and I think whenever digital happened, yeah, they, they went tanked. out of business. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what it ended up turning from a really bad situation into a beautiful thing because we got a bigger location, went from 4,000 square feet to 9,000 square feet. We also expected to, to spend like close to five or $600,000 on the retrofitting, and this was like 200. We're just wrapping up construction here, and the machine should be hooked up by the end of the next week. To wrap this up, what did your friends think when you said you were gonna do this? I would like, say, what did they say to you at the time, and then what do they say yeah, to you now? Yeah, I see where you go with that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. so, I think most everyone was like, very skeptical. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Very skeptical. I wish you all the best. Thank you Thank so you. much for your time. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me today on Trade and Prosper. 
For more information on our organization and to listen to more podcast episodes, head over to tradeandprosper.com. Also, follow us on social media for the latest news, events, and posts about a business near you.